Fear plays an interesting role in our lives. How dare we let it motivate us? How dare we let it into our decision-making, into our livelihoods, into our relationships? It's funny, isn't it, that we take one day a year, dress up in costume, and celebrate fear. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two. Uh, (laughs) We're episode three. We're in the weeds. Uh, This is a cannabis talk show. And it's my pleasure to be here uh, once again and introduce uh, Mike and Francesca, who are the co-founders of Alias Can, as well as the man uh, behind the scenes that makes the trains run on time, the man who knows what you did last summer, Frankie Fifth Year, producer extraordinaire who holds everything together for us. Now, uh, as an earthling, I have to believe whatever clocks and calendars tell me. And both of those resources tell me that it's October, it's autumn. uh, And once that's upon us, it means that culturally we become a little, uh, at least temporarily preoccupied with things that go bump in the night and the phenomenon of fear. Um, Now, today we're going to chat about fear's role in business. And the rather interesting consideration I was making on my way in today is that fear has really become its own business. I mean, from uh, movies to theme park attractions, anything that's hyper-focused on scare me, um, it's a genuine touchstone uh, for all of us. It's common ground, and we know that it can paralyze us and keep us where we are, can motivate us and and push us to new heights and to really test ourselves. Um, And like that silly little line I used to begin with from Robert California's uh, stay in the office. Um, it moves into very important areas of our lives, like what we do for a living and our livelihoods. So I wanted to begin there. And I always enjoy talking with the two of you. Um, if we're talking about taking calculated risks in business, um, that's part of business, as is failure. And I think healthy, adjusted people can see both those things as a, as a teacher of sorts, right? Um, but a lot of people let the fear of failing limit uh, what they do in their careers. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your life prior to cannabis, if you can think back there, uh, prior to cannabis and your experiences in business. And I mean, you got to bring those things with you, right? Um, I'm going to start with you, Francesca. You have a, a, an interesting background and an interesting past life before cannabis. Was there an experience or, or two prior to you coming to the cannabis business that made you think twice about getting involved in this business and, and starting over? Um, I think that there's every time, just the nature of who I am, every time that I hit something that's scary in business, I tend to um, have a little mini freak out about, am I even doing the right thing? You know, I have this basically like um, existential crisis of, well, if I'm doing it wrong, does that mean I shouldn't be here? And um, what, is, what does this actually mean? And then after that initial fear surge passes, I can usually extrapolate something worthwhile from the experience and apply it to be better and to beat the fear next time. And, you know, before cannabis, I was, originally I was a high school English teacher. Um, Ugh, and why would you ever? Well, we're talking about scary things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, once I left teaching after six years, I jumped headfirst into real estate, not knowing anything really about it, except what I saw on HGTV, which is so far from reality. Um, and so That's I it. really learned as I went with real estate and there was no other way to do it except to do it and to get through it. Um, 
one of the, I guess, most challenging and difficult and scary potentially um, experiences I had was really with a set of clients that should have been on the surface. Everything should have been fine. It should have been really easy. It was a couple, um, they had been homeowners before they were shopping new construction, which is usually pretty easy for the buyer's agent because it means that the, um, the employee working the new construction site is going to do majority of the work. They're going to walk you through the houses. They're going to be the ones taking you um, through step-by-step step what everything's you know, doing and the paperwork and all of those details that are usually on the agent. The agent just kind of becomes the supportive role, asking questions that maybe the buyers don't know to ask and finding out some information and then being um, another communication kind of touchstone for the buyers. So it should be easy um, and everything seemed to be a nice simple story, but like every scary story, there's the twist <laughs> and the twist was that the buyers were not who I thought they were. Um, they weren't decisive, they weren't clear, they weren't reasonable really. Um, a lot of their decision-making was actually fear-based. They didn't want to be too close to well, gosh, a million things. They didn't want to be too close to water. They didn't want to be too close to power lines. They didn't want to be too close to a road. They didn't want to be too close to the woods. They didn't want to be too close to open land. They didn't want to be Ugh. too close to developed land. Like everything was wrong. <laughs> their, porridge, their porridge had to be just right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. And it got to a point where even though they were buying a nice house, um, you know, and it, I was getting a commission from it, I... I, it went on so long. They were so bad <laughs> doing their job of being the clients that um, it got to a point where I was like, I seriously need to think about whether I should fire them and cut bait and say, cut my losses because I've wasted a lot of time and money and energy with them. Or do I see this through because, damn it, I better see something out of this after all right. this work. The sunk so, cost of all the work you've done. Totally. And so it gets really, um, talk about like a, a little bit of a crisis. I just didn't know which way was the right way to turn. I didn't know where, where was the safest place for me to go in terms of um, up working with them and making sure I was doing right by me because I was trying to do right by them and that wasn't working. So it, it was really a tough experience. It was a really tough lesson because it taught me that something that, um, you know, my broker had repeated for forever, but I didn't listen to until I lived it, which was like, you don't need all the buyers. You just need the right buyers. And that I didn't vet them. I didn't, you know, really take my due diligence and protect my business and my time and myself when working with these people. I'd let, I let them run the show. And that was, it was a complete, it was a role reversal. They wanted me to make the decisions for them and they wanted to run the show. And it should be the opposite in any kind of good business. Your clients need to make the decisions for themselves and you need to guide them towards those things that will help them make the decisions. So um, in terms of like a, a scary, nerve wracking, awakening um, moment, that was definitely one for me of like the, the clients aren't all the same. They're not all equal and they're not going to all be worth it. So finding the right clients is hmm. kind of what I took away from that. That's kind of interesting because where my mind was going with this question was along the same lines as far as like the what we're what you're doing and what you're valued to do. So yeah. where I was kind of thinking of with this is you know in my prior life and uh, you know with my other businesses I have 
all of them are centered around providing sales and marketing and distribution services for other companies. And what I've found over time with this one that I thought was scary and I was fearful that it would continue to be scary even in the cannabis space was that when you do a really good job, let's just take sales as an example. When our sales team crushes it and we do a really good job and we're getting uh, new leads and we're converting and we're closing and revenues flowing and all this and that, and everybody's happy, right? Everybody's happy, but it makes it seem really easy. So the better we do, the easier it seems. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, that client's going to think they can do it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's where suddenly our business is at risk because that client it may try to insource that instead of outsourcing it to us, they're going to find that maybe they should do it themselves and maybe uh, bring a college kid in and he can make the same dials. But what they don't think about is all the experience, the strategy, the planning, the execution, the follow through, all that stuff that happens day in and day out. And, um, and even just keeping people on board and motivated to want to do these damn dials every day. <laughs> like it's not yeah. easy, but you know, when you do a good job and we can make it look easy. And so that's something I've run into in the past. That's something I've learned how to mitigate and manage with our clients, but it's also, it's not relevant or relegate, excuse me, to just, you know, other industry. It's, it's everywhere, including cannabis. It's the same scenario that we run into. Um, so the fear I had is kind of ringing true here. I, but I think we know how to manage through it better to, to give that transparency and perspective so that people can have value for what we're bringing to the table. Yeah. yeah. Well, go, go ahead, ahead Francesca. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I, how about I continue? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody say something. Um, I think that's, that's a really good point because you, you know, your angle of like, it's about managing through those experiences. And so you kind of have to manage, um, the image that you have to your clients of what you're doing as well as what you're actually doing. And, and I think what I, it has, it does all tie back to the client though. Like what what I learned was really that every yes you say to a client, every, every client you take on board, every yes you give is a no to something else because you now have less time, fewer resources, less energy, money, whatever it is. So you can't then spend it on whatever else is out there. And so it kind of taught me before I knew what it was called about opportunity cost of like, do you really want to work with these people? Because if not, there are other people out there to work with and you might be missing the boat on a better opportunity. It's a double-edged sword because obviously right. a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and blah, blah, blah. But I do think that evaluating clients is something um, with a much harder eye and learning to vet them and knowing what I need from them and that they're hiring me and I'm hiring them is kind of how I, I walked away is like how I arm myself against that danger. Yeah. Well, think about even like just for alias can, you know, when we started this four years ago, we would work, do sales or marketing for anybody that batted an eye at us. Like we would take any client. Yeah. And so, you know, we learned, we got burned a few times, but what we've learned over time is that through that opportunity cost, as our, as our reach expanded and we got additional clients and we start, kind of started refining who we wanted to work for and what we were really, really good at, now we can say no to people and feel good about it because we know who we want to work with and who we don't want to work with. And, and I think that comes with time and it comes with the maturity of the cannabis industry as a whole, as it's, as certain things are starting to shake out and starting to firm up, it, it allows us to, to see things better than we did four years ago. 
And so that opportunity cost that you spoke of, I mean, we're, we deal with that. I mean, how many times all a week the time. do we, we talk about that all the time as far as where do we want to spend our time? Because time's a limited commo- commodity. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't want to be working 24 hours a day and nor does anybody on our team. And so we have to make sure that we're using our time wisely where we can get the most bang for our buck. Yeah. And you have a bunch of people that are like, Hey, I want to partner with you. And that's very flattering. Or you're like, Oh, well they look bigger than me or they look more important or whatever. And so you have to re but when so many people are saying that and you, you can't say yes to everybody and still and serve all of those masters. And so, um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that we see it all the time and we've had to pivot our business to go from ancillary businesses to what we're doing now, which is with growers and dispensaries. And it's a whole new world there. And so now we have to say, not every grower, not every dispensary, which ones right. make the most sense for us that will value what we bring to the table and that we can best you know, serve as much as mm-hmm. I hate using that word in business. It is like, how can, how can we give them the best of us? Well, that, this, to that point, that, that experience of that whole question revolved around experience, that experience is absolutely invaluable then because you don't have to be waiting three months and unmask the person like the old Scooby-Doo show and say, <laughs> wait, that's, that's who you really are? You can't, yeah. we, we spent all this time making these calls and you, you can't deliver this. So it's, it's really- That is a, such a good analogy for that too, the unmasking <laughs> and who's really underneath the mask. It's so true. It, it, it has to be. Uh, people put on a good show. Yeah. I mean, people put on a good show. I don't know how many times uh, you, you'll be at this thing. Well, I, I have the best credit card oh, process. I have the line. best this. <laughs> I have the workaround for that. Come on. Uh, and, and, you know, do you really want to get in bed for three months with, with the it, vetting and experience? God, it, it, it's, such a, it's such a complex uh, thing in particular. Uh, and you have I, to learn how to do it. Like, cause yeah. you could do it at trade shows. It could be like, Oh, it's, it's kind of a dick measuring of like, who has the big booth? Oh, I guess they have the money and they're legit. And <laughs> that's not the case. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's funny. Interesting to analogy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> what, can, can I throw just a, a quick curveball at you as far as uh, past experience in business? Um, was there ever a, a, a bit of a fear as far as what, you know, perception, like that you have, you work in cannabis or you have money wrapped up in cannabis. Um, is there any kind, any kind of fear that people are going to associate you with the negative aspects of cannabis, Mike? That's a great question. And I think the, the association with an industry like cannabis is something that has to cross your mind when you have existing business interests and existing infrastructure that's supporting your family and supporting other businesses. And I think for me, where it came from was, you know, there was a fear. It's something that I probably thought about quite a bit. And I thought about how it would impact my existing um, model. And, but then the more I talk to people and talk to those around me and those in business uh, advisors personally, that everybody kind of had the same uh, perspective, perspective as I did, which is, this is a pretty interesting scenario from a business perspective, from the social impact, from how it might help people uh, with medical issues, and, and really to be a part of something that might be in the history books, so to speak, as far as an right. emerging industry that completely changes um, the global economy. That to me was something that I really wanted to be associated with. And, and with when Francesca and I first brought it up at the first MJ BizCon, I mean, that's why I knew I wanted to do this because she layered in all these other avenues that we could make an impact socially and uh, societal. And I thought that the combination of all that stuff 
significantly outweighed the fear and potential downside. And, and if people have that and they view me differently, then that's their loss. And that's kind of where I shook out on it. Yeah, I think, you know, when I think about fear, my, my initial, like my knee jerk answer, I think in my head was no, cannabis was cool by the time that it became an industry. So what's scary about that? But you bring up several good points, Mike, in that mm-hmm. existing business could suffer from the stigma of cannabis. And frankly, the stigma of cannabis has come a long way from even when we started four years ago to now. It's like people are asking, people I never would expect are asking me where they should invest in cannabis or how they can get involved in cannabis. And it's, um, but I going, going back to like how I got started with it, there was fear in some sense of, um, I was doing real estate and cannabis or real estate and working for Mike in his traditional business at the same time. And we were at an MJ biz show in DC. And um, I literally was at a, a crossroads. I was getting, I was on the train home at the end of this really great show where Mike and I kind of built out Alias Can and really dreamed up a lot of what we're, we're doing now. And I got a call from uh, a guy that I work with in, in real estate. And he said, I'm leaving our broker. I'm starting a brokerage. I want you to come on and I want you to basically, I'll handle all new construction. You handle all resale. And this guy was making easily a million dollars a year and, you know, could pretty much guarantee that I roll in on that number too. And he was like, as, as a starting point, and he was like, let's, and I like this guy, there was no reason to not be in business with him at all. And um, it, it really came down to where do I want to be? Do I want to be in cannabis with Mike or do I want to be in real estate with this other guy? And um, it was an easy decision for me because I think Mike and I, had, we had removed all our fears just in that one trip and we had seen what the landscape was and the risk was there, but the fear wasn't. And so I didn't know what cannabis would be, but I knew I wanted to be a part of it for all the reasons that Mike just said about like the change that it can bring about and the cause that is behind it. And frankly, I believe in that a lot more than I believe in real estate. You brought up something that's really interesting, which is the association between risk and fear. And yeah, it just depends on every, it's a scale, right? How, if somebody's risk adverse or not. And, and to me, I've never feared risk if I've, if I had education, if I had experience that I thought could help me overcome the barriers that absolutely will be in front of us. And that's, you know, both known and unknown. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you can get fear over anything. And, and I think from, you know, business fear to me doesn't stop what we're doing because I feel like no matter what we run into, we'll find a way to get around it. Um, even something like COVID. So I'm here, you know, I'm here, I'm in the sales, I'm in the alias can sales office today and it's empty. The lights are off. Our people aren't here. Right. So that's not stopping us. Mm-hmm. This is actually our best year that we've had so far <laughs> in the midst of all this. So, you know, I can't, we, you know, we, we've done really good as far as not letting risk turn into crippling fear and, that's not everybody does that. Some people let see risk in that game changer, end of game, pack up your bags, go home, you know, and, but we've been able to do a good job as far as balancing out risk with fact and not letting fear turn into something that is not. Yeah. Well, and, but I mean, yeah, we just have to acknowledge it though. You know, that's mm-hmm. as businesses go, uh, cannabis seems to have more, risk than certainly traditional ventures. Um, uh, for sure. You know, if we're talking about the scariest things about having to make a living in the cannabis space, 
I mean, you've, you've got, you're limited by region, you're limited by law, where you can play, how you can operate. Francesca, what, what is, in your opinion, what's the scariest thing about making a living in the cannabis space? And I'm going to go right to Mike after you. This, the scariest thing about making a living in the cannabis space is just the overall fragility of doing that, of being able to make a living in the cannabis space. And the cannabis industry is fragile. The plant is fragile in a lot of ways. Um, the people that are trying to get into this make it a fragmented industry. And there's fragility around that. I think there's just a lot of unsteady ground beneath our feet right now as we try to plant ourselves and take oh. root to grow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, get them all. <laughs> Double points. <laughs> There's the around the horn points. Good yeah. Francesca one. Um, so I think that there's, there's a lot that's scary there because we don't know what a new president's going to bring, what a new Congress is going to bring, what a new Senate's going to bring, what a new House is going to bring. We don't know how everything is going to affect it. We can, we can listen to you know, campaigns, we can believe promises, we can look at banking, we can look at trends, we can see how states are doing. But there, there are so many things that we cannot be sure of that you could write a book on it. So it's really tough to say, I'm here, I know what I'm doing, and I'm doing it well, but I can't guarantee that means I'm going to be here tomorrow. Because this, all of this is kind of just tenuous. Mm-hmm. That's 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 really interesting, and I feel like my answer that I was is, it kind of builds from that the fragility um, of the whole market and where I was going when I think about the market and what's what really scares me the most is that you know the growth potential and the mystique of cannabis attracts a lot of people that want to be a part of it, and they and unfortunately I feel like a lot of the people that enter the space entered with under the pretense of just trying to do a cash grab and do a mm-hmm. quick, they think they can come in, uh, their product can fit right in. They can make a significant amount of margin and revenue, and then they can dip back out again. And, and so I think there's a lot of that going on. And I, and I think what we see a lot of, especially um, from our perspective is, is companies that are just pinballing around trying to find their place, trying to force their product or service on the market rather than, pursuing a dream or pursuing a vision as that and putting a strategy in place to get from A to B, even if you have to pivot to some degree, they're not doing that. And, and I think we see a lot of that. And so the fear that I have and the scary part of the industry for me is that the long-term viability and success of Alias Can is dependent upon and 100% tied to finding and, and working with companies that are cut from the same cloth of, as us uh, in terms of being professional, being driven and having value for the contributions of other partners, so to speak, towards a long-term goal. And so when we look into the marketplace, I think that's really what's driven us to narrow our focus and continue to drive our business towards those companies that are you know, cut from that same cloth, as I said, and, and have the same values as us and want to pursue um, a, a game changing effort to fit into this industry. And, and, but notwithstanding, there's a lot of, just a lot of jokers out there and a lot of pretenders and a lot of people that are just in here for the short term hit and run and, and they can completely derail everything that we've 
dreamed about everything that you know they can just be enormous time wasters and mm. you know there's it's it's scary and it, and i just want to make sure that we're doing what's right with the right business partners and letting everybody else fall to the side yeah i think um that's so true i mean we've both lived that where yeah. somebody it's just they're there for the wrong reasons and like we'll see it in trade shows when we're we're standing in a booth and some banker rolls up with 50 fucking years of experience in banking and comes in and is like, you know, all these people are doing it wrong. And you're like, yeah. who asked you old yeah. white guy? And, <laughs> and nobody's the, the, the application of traditional business to cannabis business isn't a one-to-one. -one. It's not directly applicable. And to, so all these people are rolling in, taking up space, thinking they know all the answers and, and trying to hone in on this. And they're a terrible fit for it. And so <laughs> time burglar. Big time, time burglar, yes. And yeah. it is scary to think about how much time we waste on them. Um, or, or this one, like Nick said, like somebody comes up and they're like, I've got the work around the credit card. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> you do attract so many people. I mean, we were in New York a uh, little over a year ago. And because everybody's excited about whenever that market takes off. And I couldn't believe the people that were coming to uh, that trade show at the Javits Center that had no idea of, of anything cannabis, but had just been in marketing or advertising for years. But I remember this little cute old man dressed in, I mean, he was an antique himself and, and giving me his business card and saying, I'm going to be your competitor. And I was like, Okay, sir. Thank you. I put I put him back. I put him back in the Monopoly board where he belonged uh, by way of Marvin Gardens. And uh, but but it was I was just thinking, what drove you here? And and I, I have to think that that vetting your clients has to be so difficult. Even I'm going to use a word you used earlier, Mike. You try to be as transparent as hell with people. And there's one thing that. Uh, I think, Francesca, you wrote on the website that says, you know, you focus on what you're good at. We're going to fill in the gaps. Our team is going to come in and take care of the rest. And I, I would think if I'm a grower, if I'm a cultivator, I think, wow, that, that's refreshing as hell. Uh, I don't have time to be making these calls or to be designing this stuff for social. But uh, that, that double-edged sword of doing a good job, I keep going back to your answer, Mike, because... You give them a couple months of really quality production, and then all of a sudden, uh, I could do this. Yeah, I think I could do this. I think you know, I could you know the other part of that. Well, actually, I have before I, as another add on there. But before I get to that, we talked about fear and stuff, Nick. So for you, are you yeah. still haunted by that old man at the Javits Center? <laughs> I, I, I still. The you ghost know, when, of trade shows past. Whenever, <laughs> whenever I go to my cubicle, I look and I check to make sure he's not in there. Because yeah, he took he your seat. A, he did. Um, and and I'm serious. He looked like the Monopoly guy. I uh, so yeah, I'm still. Oh, Pat Monocle. <laughs> uh, and he's robbing the community chest. But uh, but Mike, you said you had another addle. Yeah, you know we talk about another thing that's scary, and this is we've run into this one too. And uh, when I say this, Francesca's probably gonna laugh out loud. Um, you know, we can do, like get back to doing our job, and we we take a lot of pride in selling and developing business and developing markets. 
And that can all get wiped real fast if the people we work with don't have operations that can support sales. So, and Nick, you've run into this firsthand. You, 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 you place orders, you get interest at a dispensary, you sell a, a bunch of weight of some flour, and then the order never shows up. Now you've got customers that are pissed that are calling you and saying, where the fuck is the flour? I need, I need that weight. And you don't have it. And now your reputations, you know, the client's reputation is tarnished. Your reputation to some degree is tarnished. And, it, you know, so we can do, again, we can do a great job, but we don't control everything in the, in the product flow. And so it's another area it's a, that's a concern for me that puts a lot of pressure on us, especially, you know, Francesca and I and finding the right clients and making yeah. sure that, um, you know, not only do they want to pay their bills and value what we do, but oh yeah, they can actually produce uh, on time and, right. and the op they have the operations that as we sell, they can grow along with us. And so that's the other, you know, fear that's out there is like, we do a great job and it's just wasted. And then, oh, now we don't get commissions because they never delivered the flower. Uh, it's, it's, it can be rough. Yeah, you're dependent on so many variables uh, mm -hmm. in this business and you got to make, you know, even the things that you can cover and, and think that you're doing your homework. And then what happened last month in September, Colorado, what is it, 70 degree drop in temperature in one night? Yeah. Look at what happened to that cannabis crop. I mean, just then the fires and, you know, yeah, yeah and, the fires and, and those West. things. And I think for any, anybody it's, like running a business, you try to like minimize risk by minimizing variables and keeping mm -hmm. as much in your control as you can and work towards, you know, maximizing your impact on all the different variables you have. And so things like that, especially in the cannabis space where mother nature plays a big part in the, in the supply chain, it's, it's rough. It's really difficult to control those. And it's, it's impossible. Even an indoor grow. I mean, for just going to have a partner that we work with that, you know, they, they, they're an indoor grow and they just have a, they have a new drop they're doing and the THC levels are significantly lower than what they typically are. And even on an indoor where you can control a lot of variables and they have it, extensive technology that they're using to control variables still can't do it that's a plant yeah i think the the lack of control definitely speaks to the fragility of the market like that's yep. a big underlying factor and if i'm being completely completely deeply honest about what my real fear is i think the the fragility of it is really about the fact that i don't think we figured it out yet that's my fear is that this legal is this push to legalization i'm afraid that this isn't it that we will because the legal market is feeding the black market and until wow. we find a way to control that or to mitigate that or to harmonize with that i don't see how the legal market takes off to the scale that we need it to for this to be a quote unquote legitimate industry although i consider it a legitimate industry don't come after me but um <laughs> in in terms of the way mature industries are so as long as we have states going and, or the federal government or whoever saying yes i want to legalize this as long as i can find a way to put my hand in the till and make sure mm -hmm. that i can get mine out of this and what's the big reason for states to legalize oh you can tax it look at all you can do with the tax well, you're driving up the price of the product. And um, 
there's a lot of growers who can't afford to get those growing licenses or can't afford the growing uh, regulations, but they've been growing for about 20 years. And guess what? Now they're cheaper and they're craft and they're accessible and they own the relationship with the customer because the black market has existed for longer than the legal market. And so I, I think there are so many elements to this that we haven't figured out and that we're ignoring um, before and but still moving forward and so that's dangerous to me of like what if this isn't it what if we legalize this is the first time we try to legalize this and this is something we read about in the history books and we're we're working towards it failing on a on a large scale only to go back to a black market or some sort of hybrid or something i find it scary as somebody who's operating in, in a cannabis business i find it a little um I don't know, satisfying, I guess, because there is something really special about the fact that you can't keep this plant down and the fact that we we made it illegal and illicit um, based on some really racist, greedy, capitalist shit. And if this is the curse of cannabis that we can't figure out how to work it into our capitalist system, that kind of makes my little free spirit heart happy, but it makes my, you know, business and um, entrepreneurial spirit uh, sad. So yeah, welcome to Francesca's scary. negative Ted talk. It's called the long defeat. Um, <laughs> she's going to, <laughs> that's a really strong point there, Francesca. That's, that's, I like the, I like the thinking there because it's, it's, it's a lot of what the struggle's all about in terms of people trying to find their footing and, and to, to, be, to have longevity in this business, it's, it's a matter of finding that footing. And it's, I feel like it's a slippery slope, but certain days you feel really good about where we are and where the industry is going. And then next thing yeah. you know, you look on Beard Brothers and you see a headline that shakes you in your shoes. So it's, it's yeah, I, I like that, I like the analogy you made. Yeah, no, it is a quality one. We're just messing with you uh, because <laughs> we want to get uh, as far as is turning, uh, is flipping that coin over though, Francesca. Let's let's talk about uh, something we haven't explored yet. Uh, as far as how can we use fear in a uh, in a positive sense in business? So complete opposite of where you're coming from before, but um, give us your take. There's a, there's a lot of good that can come out of fear as a motivating factor. Um, I think it makes us more resourceful. And there's nowhere that that is a greater example of that than scary movies as an avid scary movie buff and a big lover of October because it justifies every scary movie I ever want to see over and over. Um, I'm... I'm really taken by the story that you see or the elements or the dynamic that you see in every single scary movie, which is the victim is at every disadvantage. They've cut off the escape route. They've taken away all the weapons. They have no real tools in, and resources available to them. There's nobody to help them. They can't get out of this seemingly impossible situation. But what always happens? They always... I would say most always, you know, win in the end. And they do that against all the odds because their fear motivates them to think about their surroundings in a completely different way. And so the things that were mundane and harmless before become weapons when you have um, fueled fear into the heart of somebody and, and leave them with nothing else to do but work with what they have because you adapt 
or you die. And, and that's, that's how fear can be really positive. So even in the, the long, um, <laughs> what did you call it? My, the, the long defeat. That's your the long song. defeat. Yeah. <laughs> even in the long defeat, I think that's just the beginning. That's just the premise of that setup of the story. The real story is what are we going to do about it? Because usually the solutions are going to be, um, not mainstream, not, cookie cutter, not what you expect. You have to go beyond that and say, um, let's, let's surprise people with how we get out of this. And so whether you're in hush and your, you know, deafness, which is a huge disadvantage becomes the biggest asset just as because your other senses are heightened and that's how you know where the killer is without him knowing where you are and or whatever. Um, or you're, you're Nev Campbell and you use a phone to lure the killer that's been terrorizing you through the phone. You just end up figuring it out. So I, I love fear as a motivating factor. And I think it's probably, it's the most uncomfortable, but one of the best factors because I, I certainly get moved by it. But like, okay, nothing else to do, but win or die. So I'm not dying. Guess I got to win somehow. I love it. Um, wow. So I have to ask before I answer, has this been like a late night gummy induced conversation that you've had before with this Maybe. whole horror movie? And <laughs> it did seem a bit scripted, didn't it? <laughs> hey. I, think this, I don't think it was scripted. I think she, it wouldn't shock <laughs> me if she thought this through in her head like numerous times or something. Oh, no, no, no. She could teach a college course on it. I <laughs> love scary movies. No, uh, I'm basically a scary movie academic. <laughs> and yeah, I think. It, Yes, I may have thought about it on a gummy, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's kind of funny. So Francesca and I, as, as, with many things, we're alike, right? But we're also uh -huh. different in many ways, too, which is, I think, why we work so well together. And I'm going to share something here that most people don't know. I hate scary movies. Like, oh. I never, ever, ever ever watch scary movies. What's the really? scariest movie you've ever watched? Yeah, I haven't seen a scary movie in like 25 years. So what's the last scary movie you've seen? Like one of the Halloweens probably or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's like as soon what happens to me is as soon as I lay down to go to sleep, that shit comes roaring back in my head and I get oh, yeah. scared as hell. And then hell like, yeah. every noise is an issue and then I'm up all night. So I just don't watch it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but... I understand the plot line Francesca laid out. And I think, you know, so you've talked about the people like, you know, you likened uh, your approach to the people who use the, their surroundings and their resources to overcome the, the killer. Right. Um, but in every horror movie that I've saw, there's always a couple lambs that just sit there and scream and they're like, ah, oh, yeah. and then they're done. Right. And so <laughs> there's also those people in business or in life yes. that, that where fear paralyzes them and then they just get trucked. So, you know, there's, there's, I think there's also that element and, but I'm, I'm definitely glad to hear that you, that you associate yourself with a survivor. Um, <laughs> and, and that's kind of how I view it is like, you know, it's, you know, you ha it's, it's sink or swim with this kind of stuff. And so fear for me is like, there's plenty of times when fear, business fear will strike me, like fear that we're missing things, fear that we're, things are falling between the cracks or whatever it might be. And that's typically when you guys or people that work with me will see like the 4.30 a.m. emails come rolling in because that's to me, it's like get up and get to work and start figuring this out. And that's for me, it's, it's very motivating. And um, 
Yeah, I feel like that's like when the fire in my ass gets an extra boost of gasoline where I really start kicking into another gear. Yeah. Well, it, I, I, in, in a way, I'm kind of like grateful that, yeah, at least I can be afraid of these things or get or fear of, feel that fearful impulse where I'm, it's something I'm not good at or I got to dive in. But you, you learn, to, to both of your points, you learn to find resources. You learn to find stuff in yourself mm-hmm. that you didn't know was there. If I, you know, we owe all these call hours. Nick, jump in. I don't, I don't call. Jump in. You're scared to call. <laughs> jump in. <laughs> and, and you do learn. You do learn. I'm like, okay, I don't like this, but man, I'm learning something about myself. I'd much rather be that guy than be the dude who's almost, you know, too stupid to even define that fearful impulse. The guy in the movie, mm-hmm. we're going back to your analogy, who waits till, I don't know, five minutes to six. and was like, are we going to go kill Dracula? Like, no, you, dude, you should have done that earlier when the sun was out. You're, this is a scary situation. You're not even aware of it. Um, yeah, that, that's a, I love how different both your points were, but uh, the way they tie together is really, really interesting. You know, um, I, I think... If I can interrupt you no, I was- real quick. Um, I think it's interesting that there's also the element of um, if you stop because you're afraid or because you're too afraid and that is, that is it, that's going to be the end, then you've just, you've written a really bad ending to your story. That's not, that's, you don't get to grow from that. Like I said, you, you're, you're just dead, I guess. That's it. <laughs> that's the end of the story. Yeah. And that's never been enough for me. So I like the idea of, um, you know, the other side of fear, when you are through it, you've gained so much more than you could have probably lost. Because if you sit in the fear too long, you're going to lose. If you go through the fear, you're going to lose or win. So why wouldn't you open yourself up to at least have the chance to win? Yeah, I mean, well, look at, you know, this is a show about cannabis uh, and the cannabis business. But if you look at uh, a famous uh, person who's taken some drugs in his time, I do think there's some truth behind. I remember uh, on TV one time seeing Gary Busey uh, have to explain something to me. He's like, you're giving into the fear. A fear is uh, F-E-A-R. That is false evidence appearing real. And I remember thinking, this guy's a bonehead. But there's a lot of truth there. <laughs> you're in a situation, you're having that panic. I could be, this could be paralysis or I could get the hell out of here. Um, you're, you're taking in those factors and the thing you're afraid of and you make the, the move one way or the other. Um, I, I don't know if it's something that people give enough uh, uh, credence to, but there's, there's a great, great uh, bit of learning uh, from fear, in particular in this business world. Um, I didn't, final I've thoughts. I've never heard the Gary Busey before, Nick. Uh, you never well heard that. My friend it was when uh, <laughs> he was back on. Uh, I forget what what show it was, but he's always fascinated me that he's got that weird thing he does with words, and that uh, he doesn't ever look in the mirror and think that he's not with it. That guy's supremely confident. <laughs> where, yeah. I don't know. Um, I think I think fear lets you you. You can also plan ahead. Like if we know mm-hmm. that fear, fear highlights where we may have problems that we have to address. So I think that's, that's probably one of the best aspects of fear. It's not, no, not total terror, obviously, but like, ooh, I'm afraid if I do this, if I go after a speaking gig and I get it, 
what if my talk isn't good enough? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not ready? Or what what if, what if, what if is just fear in business. So you you can then mitigate that fear by acting ahead. And so you can get ahead of it or you can use it and have it behind you pushing you forward. It's I guess you're ahead of it either way then. But anyway, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Well, we're going to... if, if we can, uh, any final thoughts about fear's role in the, in the business place or things you want to share with us right before we make a little transition here? I think we covered it. I mean, it's, it's going to be there. It's always going to be there. So just get used to dealing with it, I think, is my final thought. And I think my final thought is consider fear in all angles of your business. Consider what, um, if you are running a business, consider what are your employees afraid of and how can you help them conquer their fears? Consider what are your customers afraid of that's stopping them and help them um, conquer those fears before they maybe even have them. So take away fear and you're going to have, um, or, or master your fears and you're going to have a solid business. Well said very well said so here's another episode is the connection between like fear and pain points because sometimes pain points of our clients which are fears sometimes they're just shortcomings but i wonder if it's one and the same i wonder if if you pull it all down i wonder if a lot of the pain points that we try to solve for our clients will come back to fear well look at um customer uh, like market share all right, for dispensaries. And you're trying to gain market share. It's a very, you know, business thinking kind of strategy and approach to it. But what are you actually trying to do? You're trying to get more customers in the door. And why are certain customers not coming in the door? Is it because they're afraid of something? Are they afraid of how um, it looks to be in a dispensary? Are they afraid of not knowing what to do once they're in a dispensary? Mm-hmm. What are they afraid of actually taking cannabis and what it can do? Did nobody educate them? So I think education is really probably fear's biggest um, you know, fighter. It's, it's a David and Goliath, but it absolutely, Mm -hmm. David wins every time because in that, in that mix, but yeah, you're right, Mike, pain points and fears. Mm, Let's talk. Yeah. Interesting. Upcoming episode for sure. There's already the wheels are turning. I can see. (laughs) Um, all right. Uh, so end of the show, I want to say hello to uh, my man, Frankie fifth year. Frankie there. Yes. Hello everyone. Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing real well. I'm doing real well. Uh, I'm here with Mike and Francesca, and I was going to just throw some softballs here just to, uh, you know, it's October. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the month. I I hope that we have Halloween. I hope kids are able to partake in that tradition. But let's go back to those days, if I can. I I can't. I'm I'm trying to picture little Mike Patterson uh, going trick-or-treating. Getting up to the door, um, Mike, you don't even look at, at what they give you until you, you walk away from the front door. What was the candy that when you found it in your bag, you wanted to take it and chuck it right back at that house? Ooh. What was the worst candy you you, you just, ugh? Uh, Tootsie Rolls, hands Tons. down. Tootsie yeah. Rolls. Tootsie Rolls are dog shit. <laughs> um, well, that, there's a soundbite right there. I, <laughs> if I could make that a ringtone, I would, especially for Halloween. Tootsie Rolls are dog Tootsie shit. Rolls. Do you agree that they're dog shit, Francesca? What is the one candy that would make you think, you know what, take this right back? <laughs> I like Tootsie Rolls. I think they're great. <laughs> that wasn't the question. The that wasn't um, the question. The... <laughs> the <laughs> 
I don't need your piece of shit good and plenty or anything with coconut. Get your coconut out of my candy. It like doesn't almond, belong. Oh wait. Almond What's Joys the, can go. No, not Almond Joys. What's the coconut themselves? one? Mounds, right? Mounds. Mounds. Yeah. yeah. Both of them go to hell. Get really? out. Really? Wow. I hate them. They're, it's a texture thing. It's a taste thing. I hate all of it. All right. Wow. Interesting. Well, if I, if I continue the thread and I go and we're following little fifth year along the streets, <laughs> along the streets of Jersey. I'm just, I was like 25 when Frank was out <laughs> trick-or-treating, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Probably <And> older. <laughs> Frank Frank's all done up. He's got his costume on. I, I just I'm basing this on experience. You get up to a door, someone hands you a chicken cutlet, you're gonna throw it right back at him. Oh no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what was the candy you were just like, man, come on, are you serious? Well, I don't want to upset anybody, but I hated Reese's peanut butter cups when I was little. Oh wow. Yeah. I I never I didn't I never oh had peanut God. butter. Until I was in college. <gasps> Wait a minute. Yeah. This is it's staggering the most information. I like, I like the preface, too. He's like, I don't want to upset anybody, but I'm going to kick this koala bear. Uh, it's, it's Reese's Pieces. No, oh, come hold on. on. This is a whole, it's this Reese's is, Cup. It's even worse. Frank, did you not ever have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich until your goddamn college? I still never had one before. What? <laughs> I know. It's the most un-American thing Whoa. in the world. All right. We got to do a whole show about that. <laughs> It's ridiculous. This is startling Dang. information. I do like peanut butter now, so that's good. But I've never had a PB and J now. Wow. How the hell am I supposed to vote for you in the oh, <laughs> this is I don't know who look, to trust. none of us even know what to say. Yeah. yeah. Shut it down. <laughs> God, I wish we were having an offsite. It would have been like a year ago, uh, oh. right now. Um wow. speaking of that, when you're spending uh here's here's a scenario. Would you spend a weekend in a haunted house, Mike? It's been known to be haunted. <laughs> Fuck no. <laughs> After the whole scary movie thing. I'll tell you what. I went to a haunted house with my kids. We were out in Western Maryland camping, in okay. tent camping. And they said, yeah, there's a haunted house nearby. And it was like an old like, uh, cat, like stone house. And uh, my kids at the time were, like, say, 12, 10, in like seven or something six and so i took the older two to this the haunted house and i shit you not this is i was like my middle son wouldn't look he had his like turned around to me i was scared to death i, I hustled their asses through there so damn fast back to the campsite into the scotch like in no time <laughs> Into the scotch. Wait, yeah, oh wait, my wait. god. Was this a haunted house and it was just an empty, dilapidated house that Yeah, but there was the real it was, a, it was a straight on like a full like start in the basement and go Ooh. through all this house. And for, as soon as the doors opened up, it was like full on Oh man, Ooh, that's nice. Was, you would probably love it. I mean, I, to I me, I was it. like my kids were like screaming, like it was a disaster. Wow. So no, Nick, that, no, hell no. <laughs> I got that one. Tootsie rolls or Tootsie rolls or dog shit, uh, and hell no on this one. I, it's it's funny. I wouldn't spend the night in a haunted place. I just couldn't. And I remember. I, I don't know if Francesca remembers this. Uh, my friend Dan did, but he had like rules. Like he went to a haunted bed and breakfast or something with his fiance. But he had rules. He was like, no, 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 it's cool. I'm just not using the mirror. And I'd be like, what the hell is that? He thought he was fine as long as he didn't look in the mirror in a haunted hotel or that. something. Really? <laughs> I 
totally get that. What's That's wrong with that? You think somebody's going to be in the mirror, like behind you or something like that? Yeah. yeah. I think it's way yeah. too much. See, That's, That's why I don't watch scary movies. I'm not scared of that stuff. <laughs> and you never put a mirror somewhere where you can see the window behind you because you're going to look in the mirror and then your camera is going to refocus and show somebody looking in the window at you, looking at you. Mm. So it's, um, yeah. yeah. That's funny because you, 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 as you're saying that, I didn't even realize that there's a man standing behind you. He's been there the whole time. <laughs> um, uh, That's just Frank. No. <laughs> Frank. Frank, would you spend a night in a haunted house? Oh, absolutely not. No shot. Because I, I think I still do it to this day. If I shut a light off, I run up the stairs as fast as I can. Like if I'm coming up from the basement. <laughs> <laughs> So absolutely not. So <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> Wait, is Frank really 10 years old? <laughs> <laughs> the peanut butter and jelly. Oh. I, would, I wish I could spend an afternoon watching Frank, like tearing around his house and stuff like that. Just booking every time the lights <laughs> go. I want to get remote control over his lights and just turn lights off and oh, on at random. Oh, come on. <laughs> so that's, mean. that's mean. We were having fun with it, and then you had to go get mean. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Francesca, I think we know your answer. Yeah, a weekend is tough, though. You said a weekend, not a night. I said a weekend. Uh, I will do it. See, <laughs> I, I, think I the, will. The weekend think... should be enough to scare any reasonable person. So it's good that you know you admit that. Yeah, is this like no. shit on Francesca episode? I love this. This is great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I no. think um, it's all right. You guys don't scare me. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I definitely would. I, I would at least try. I can't say that I would make it because I have a lot of bravado and I'm very aware of that. But when I'm actually in the scary haunted house or something, if the fear actually ignites, it's tough. It's tough to fight through it. But I have a very high threshold for yeah. fear. So I like to push that as far as I can because I've never had a personal supernatural experience and I kind of really want one. I feel a little left out like, guys, I'm open to you. Where are you? And um, it's it's sad that it hasn't happened. But Nick, I don't know if you remember this actually. There was, it was early on when I just started real estate and oh, I, I was- going to bring it up. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to tell it? Or no, do you I, I've me? been in a haunted house with Francesca. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we were touring this empty house. It was on like the street where I grew up. It was old. It's a hundred year old, big old house and yeah. it was empty and it was supposed to be staged, but it was very poorly staged with very minimal furniture. It's like it was, whatever it, they yeah. left, it they was barren. Yeah. It was, it, and it was creepy. It was like, as soon as you walked in the door, there was this unsettling air and I was trying to fight through it. And so yeah. I was like, I'm going to look upstairs. And then Nick's like, mm, I'm going to be down here. And I went upstairs <laughs> to the second floor. <laughs> and like being alone on a floor in like this uh, landing with all these bedroom doors open and complete darkness inside them. And I felt like I was like on a center stage with nobody around me. Nick felt really far away. Yeah. And then I noticed there was a third floor. And I felt like such a dick not going to the third floor. But at the same time, I was like this is scaring me. And so like, yeah. um, yeah. So I kind of crept up the third floor, took a peek to show that I was brave to myself and then ran down. And I was like, so this place is fucking haunted. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't need to, I didn't need her to, to tell me. It was the weirdest experience. And when you went in, they had those old huge drawing room doors. We had to like pry them apart. 
And I, the big, you know, waft of cold air comes in and I think, oh, that's normal. But it was just odd that I moved into the kitchen of this place and this other, like the chilliest draft of air I've ever experienced just hit me. And I just remember like uh, yelling up like two st- stories like, oh, babe, get out of here. And I, I, I was like, we need to get out of here and I need to go to the bar. I think I stayed, yeah. at, Catherine, I stayed at Catherine Rooney's way too long. Here's a plug for them uh, that night. But, but I, I just needed to be around people and not, uh, well, you know, demonic presences uh, anymore. So that was odd. Yeah. So I would, so I, I think I would, but judging from that experience and I had trouble going to the third floor. I don't know. We'll see. Well, you know, um, at this time, I always want to, uh, I want to thank both of you for your, your wonderful contributions. Um, I want to uh, promote, I want to thank the people who have listened to the first couple of these because uh, we really appreciate it. So please, if you could subscribe, please subscribe, please visit our website. Uh, please check out our social media channels. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, uh, we're on Instagram. And one of the things that we're going to be promoting, I wanted to make sure I covered this, uh, Francesca at the top of the next month, uh, You've got a speaking gig coming up. Can you tell us about that? I do. I do. It's the Women's Future Conference 2020. It's in November. Um, It's a virtual conference, and I will be speaking on how CBD can help people, particularly women, um, in their lives, in their business, and just in general. So everything you wanted to know about CBD and didn't know, everything that you should be told and you weren't told is going to be covered. Outstanding. So we're so definitely follow them on... um, on social. And I believe it's just women future 2020. I'm looking it up right. That's it. Women future conference is the little at on um, Instagram and yeah, check them out. All right. So please support Francesca at women's future conference. Uh, and again, thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to sit here and just try to, uh, you know, direct things a little bit and hear what you guys have to say. We're going to see you next time. Uh, We'll see you in November. So until then, be safe. We'll see you next time from Delahue, Delawat, Delaware. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.